Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Dr. Gerard Brown back to the podcast to talk with us about autism and screen time. Access to technology can change lives, but it can also have that dark side. Websites, apps, and games do everything they can to get you hooked and keep you wanting to come back for more. So how does screen time misuse impact kids and adults on the spectrum? And what can parents do to help? Dr. Gerard Brown is going to help us tackle all these interesting subjects today. He's a professor, trainer, and private consultant with extensive experience working with individuals on the spectrum. Hopefully, we can all learn some healthy tips and how to best use the technology at our fingertips. Dr. Brown, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me to chat with all of you about this really important topic that I think we can all relate to on some level. The, the irony is, is that we're not in the same room. We're not talking face to face. We are relying on screen time ourselves right now as we go through this. So, so it's kind of a funny topic to kind of to touch on, but I don't think this is misuse. So what would you consider to be the the misuse. What is the misuse that we're talking about screen time right now? So a lot of positive things, but then on the flip side, there's a dark element, a pathological element, or a maladaptive type of behavior. And screen time is kind of that broad spectrum overview. And part of that would be being on the internet, spending more time online than what you anticipated. Or if it's a parent, and you have a child or an adult on the spectrum, all so often you're probably aware that getting some individuals off the internet or off the screen can be very challenging and can trigger irritability, frustration, temper tantrums, and can create a lot of conflict and stress within an entire family system. Some other things too, when we think about going on the internet, what happens if someone has a compulsive gaming type of problem where they're, all, they're addicted to being online and playing video games. Or maybe someone has a gambling addiction. I do a lot of work in the area of, of gambling-related problems, not necessarily people on the spectrum, but people on the spectrum may be prone to those kind of behaviors too. So you really want to be on the lookout for any type of gambling issues online. Or what about shopping addiction? Or just looking at pornography, pornography addiction, or going into chat rooms and engaging in kind of maladaptive forms of communication with people that may rub people the wrong way. Or unfortunately, in some cases, it could bring some individuals into contact with the criminal justice system. And we can dig into all those topics and variables if you'd like today as well. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love to start with maybe looking at children and I have two daughters of my own and watching the way that they go about the internet. Uh, we had restrictions as a family as as a lot of families do about screen time, about what they can access. But it's watching over time how that morphs is that maybe they're watching one YouTube video, then they get into topics, then they start getting ads thrown at them 
for other things. So when you're talking about children right now with the use of technology, how dangerous could that be if it's unsupervised? Extremely dangerous, absolutely, in so many ways. And if somebody is diagnosed with a neurodevelopmental disorder, I think it gets even more tricky and more dangerous. I know a couple podcasts ago, we recorded a session that talked about gullibility and suggestibility and naivete. What happens if the person is very gullible and is really easily talked into doing something? So they're easily persuaded into believing everything that they hear online, or maybe they are in a chat room with a group of people that they don't know, but they think they're their best friend and they give money away. I've consulted on multiple cases where the individual is, is really gullible or naive and has a tendency to maybe give money away to strangers online. So when we think of gullibility, how easily fooled is the individual or cheated or duped? So they're overly trusting of people they shouldn't. But then on that same spectrum of gullibility, we need to be aware, is the person really naive? So naivete, where maybe it's lack of experience or they're lacking judgment or they're lacking wisdom or they just lack cognitive sophistication. So maybe you have someone on the spectrum who's dealing with lower levels of social emotional intelligence where maybe they're an adult, but they function as if they're a child. So we really need to take that into account. And then the topic of acquiescence too, we need to take take that into account where they have a tendency to just agree. It's kind of like yeah saying. And again, I think they're easily persuaded maybe into doing things that might not have their best intentions in mind. Worst case scenario, maybe they share naked photos of themselves with someone underage and they don't realize that that's illegal. They don't understand the complexities of that. Maybe they're again giving money away. Maybe they're posting something online that they think is private and now it's shared with the world. And that moment, that lack of insight may follow them around for many years. If, if they're looking for a job and some things show up online about the individual where that wasn't their true intent. So those are just a few things to keep in mind and the dangers are real. And I've consulted with enough caregivers and hearing these stories over and over and over again, it is really scary for caregivers in dealing with this issue of social media use, screen time, how much is enough, how much oversight do you provide, do you constantly give them a little wiggle room, or do you just monitor every post they ever made? That gets tricky, and I think it really needs to be individualized to the person as well. And it definitely uh, needs some supervision to it, especially when you're looking at some of those common traits that you see across uh, the autistic population. It's, I mean, oftentimes you might see uh, persistence with ideas, persevera perseveration. You might see kind of that restrictive thought pattern. And it's got to be easy to be able to prey on somebody like that via the internet and maybe be able to influence them in a different way. Are there other vulnerabilities that you'd see with a somebody with autism, somebody who identifies autistic or maybe shares some of the core characteristics of autism with the screen time issue? Looking at their level of maturity. So what is their emotional maturity like? So again, maybe, let's say maybe it's a 20 year old chronologically 
but they have the maturity level of a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old or, or whatever. What is their intellectual capabilities like? Are they dealing with lower levels of IQ or higher levels of IQ? Do they have poor cognitive control too, where we know a lot of people on the spectrum are dealing with those executive functioning impairments where they have a very difficult time kind of regulating emotions that can impact their judgment, their decision-making, their problem-solving. It can also relate to just being really inflexible. And this is a big problem for families, that flexibility piece, getting someone off the internet on the autism spectrum in some cases can be really tricky because of that, really those fixated interests. And there's been plenty of cases too I've consulted on where they're trying to get the individual off the screen and really limiting that time. In some cases, there's an emotional blow up among the individual and it can create a lot of stress on that entire family system. So we really need to think of level of self-control, impulsive actions, and a term called inhibition, which falls under the umbrella of executive function. And inhibitions like our internal parking brake, our pause button. Can we pause? Can we reflect? Can we think through our actions? And in some cases, some individuals on the spectrum really struggle with that. And they can be very impulsive in the moment and not really grasp cause and effect. How my actions right now may impact me or my family or someone else tomorrow or next week or a year from now. And some of these the situations can have lifelong altering ramifications, not only for the individual, but for that entire family system. Oftentimes, those aren't the lessons that you want to learn firsthand. You want you want to be prepared beforehand and not cross that path. But I mean, as the devil's advocate here, we've gone through two years where we've seen a lot of technology immersed in building relationships and being able to perform complex work functions. And you're seeing people maybe that couldn't thrive as much in that one-to-one -one interpersonal relationship now succeeding beyond what they thought they were capable of. So are there benefits to that same social interaction being distanced? Is there something that's positive about screen time in that social relationship building? Absolutely, there are, very, there are positives. It can reduce loneliness. It can enhance socialization and self-esteem. It can help people just feel known and connected and connect with resources. Maybe it's connecting with a therapist. I, I know some clients that are connecting online via Zoom with a group of individuals and they're engaging in like a movie night. Uh, I know another group of individuals who are using Zoom to engage in exercise or like a spiritual support group. So there's a lot of benefits to it as well, but I do think it's moderation. And the research is absolutely clear that increased screen time usage among adults and children can really have a negative impact on all domains of functioning. There is some research to point to the fact that excessive amounts of screen time use among kids can decrease their grade point average, where they're now spending less time on homework. And in some cases, there's some evidence to also support the fact that extensive screen time use can contribute to almost autism-like tendencies, ADHD-like tendencies. It can contribute to impulse control problems. 
And unfortunately, it can contribute to social isolation and the ability to be able to connect with people. So they're learning less social skills and they're living more of a sedentary lifestyle. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. People on the internet for extensive periods of time typically have lower levels of social skill ability compared to people that are on it for less period of times. But again, and there's a lot of individual variables to take into account. And there's also a lot of family variables we need to take into account as well. What's going on in that family system can have a lot to do with screen time behaviors. So for example, let's say the child or adult is in a home where parents are modeling these kind of behaviors to the child. So the parent is glued to their gadget or the screen constantly. We really need to be aware of what parents are doing and how they're modeling those behaviors to the children. What's the attachment pattern like in that family? Is it a really structured family? Are they engaging in really attachment-based approaches where they're sensitive, they're attuned, they're using warm parenting style approaches? Or is that child in an environment where parents are checked out, there's abuse going on, there's chaos, maybe there's a ton of siblings in the home and it's just a lot of chaos, they're not sleeping well. So we really need to look at that entire family system as well. What's expectations around screen time use? What's the modeling behaviors like? All of those factors can really dictate kind of that child's kind of screen time habits and behaviors. So Gerard, what is, what's your thought on, and I'm just gonna put it into two contexts right now. Societally is that it's very easy to find an echo chamber on the internet. So if you have a restrictive thought pattern is that it's very easy to find somebody who's going to agree with that. So some of those social skills of not being able to adapt or not being able to comp compromise or negotiate or being able to take a perspective, some of that has to be limited is the ability to control who we're socializing with at that level. Is that a concern that parents should have and for or caretakers should have for somebody who's uh, neurodiverse and maybe some of their symptomology is perseverative thoughts? Absolutely. And there, there is some literature that supports what I'm saying. And I'll give you one example. There's a case I consulted on previously where the person was on the spectrum and had a history of kind of stocking-like behaviors in high school. As he became an adult, he started getting fixated on the internet and started engaging in chat rooms and was really fixated on certain people. So those obsessional interests really grew. And some of the variables that contributed to this for this person were obviously some of the core deficits we see in autism, weak central coherence, theory of mind issues, but also I suspect he had some issues with alexithymia where he lacked an awareness of emotions and emotional processing and he really lacked insight and he had a lower level of stranger danger. So he really befriended anyone. He had no sense of stranger danger. And this person also dealt with some deficits in cause and effect which I think are really rooted in abstract reasoning, which is a huge topic to be aware of. And this person really had a difficult time respecting other people's boundaries and wishes, and he just kept pushing and pushing. And unfortunately, this person also had a low stress tolerance. So when things got really stressful in those online environments, 
he would blow up and say some horrific things, which unfortunately was referred to law enforcement and law enforcement had to get involved in this particular case. So those are just a few variables with this one particular individual. But I think all of those variables are worth considering when we're talking about like more the problematic end of going online. And unfortunately, in some cases, I'm not saying all cases, I'm not even saying in a majority of cases, but a minority of cases, we also need to be on the lookout for possible perceptive-like behaviors that may be on the spectrum of stalking-like behaviors that then bring the person into contact with the legal system, unfortunately. Yeah, then really, I'm just listening to all this. There's a lot of things that we just need to be aware of. It's it's not that it will happen. It's that it could happen. And how does a parent go about creating those protections, creating that moderation? I mean, are there techniques that a family needs to adapt to be able to make sure, are there technologies out there to create safe space? Well, I think monitoring and oversight is very important. I think it's very important to also be aware of the risk factors, the warning signs, the research on on this, listening to podcasts and different trainings on these topics and staying up to date on the research literature is very important. I think it's also important to form a support group with other parents because this is a real issue. This is probably one of the number one issues of why I get contacted from various professionals or caregivers is this issue of the internet or the screen. And modeling these behaviors, I think, is very important. Making sure that we understand co-regulation as well. That's a whole other topic we need to be aware of is self-regulation. But parents who can stay regulated, parents who can model these behaviors, putting parameters around the internet, how much time every day are you allowed on the internet? Making it very concrete, making it visual, putting a calendar together, putting something up where it's reinforced over and over again, making sure it's predictable, making sure things are structured, paying attention to any behavioral patterns or any other addictive tendencies that could be a red flag indicator that this, this person may have some proneness to having some issues being on the screen unmonitored. For example, there's another case I consulted on where this person absolutely had a real difficult time understanding time. He thought he was on the internet for maybe an hour. After a period of time, he realized he just had no concept of time where five hours would go by, 10 hours in some cases. This really impacted his mood his energy, his motivation, his sleep patterns, it contributed to a sedentary lifestyle where he was putting on more weight, not eating healthy. All of these factors contributed to some health problems. So really working with the whole family to put some parameters around this, some structure, making sure there's breaks, making sure the person is staying hydrated, eating healthy, getting some movement involved. I do a lot of consulting with various group homes, so this is where it gets even more tricky. So providing education to the group homes too, I think is very important. And if the person is working with a case manager or a therapist, making sure everyone is reinforcing these behaviors and saying the same things consistently and repetitiously. Maybe it's using video modeling. Maybe it's using social stories. 
maybe it's using some interventions that can really promote perspective taking, like thought bubble training. Maybe it's Lego-based interventions. That's a whole other something to look into as an interve possible intervention approach for people on the autism spectrum. Maybe they would do best with a coach or some sort of in-home support worker where they can model these behaviors and really take the pressure off that family. And pr providing it from a family systems lens too, I think is so helpful in providing that family with some education and support around all of these topics. There's a case I consulted on about a year and a half ago. The person was on the autism spectrum, lived with both parents, and they came up with a really concrete plan. They wrote everything out. It made it very visual, very concrete, very simple. Everyone signed it. They reviewed the plan weekly. They made modifications for things that weren't working. They implemented a technology detox day. So every Sunday, everyone in that household agreed to not be on the screen at all, any kind of screen time use. And they started realizing that they enjoyed spending time together a lot more than they realized in the past. They got into drawing. They got into listening to music. They got into playing board games. They became more active. They said they, they, they slept better, their energy increased. So a lot of positive outcomes can happen when that entire family system, I think, gets on the same page. I, I love the idea of being able to reduce the amount of screen time. And that's personally, it resonates with me. But at the same time, we live in an inclusive society. And part of the way that our society is working is that it's, it's wired. It's a technical society now. And the last thing I'd want to do is create a bubble where I'm not including everybody into that world. So I love the precautions that you're saying to put into place because there has to be good use of screen time. There has to be good technologies. What are you seeing out there as far as, and, and I've seen it with some of the really integrated role-playing games, things like that. When it's done safely, it creates dialogue, creates conceptual reasoning, which is an important part of what's going on. It, it, it encourages creativity. What other technologies are you seeing out there done through screens that are supported to the autistic community? Well, I think any type of intervention, I think COVID-19 has really shown that interventions can be tailored and modified through the screen, through the internet, even through the telephone. So really being on the lookout in your area for providers who provide telehealth-based services or what happens if you live in a rural area, having access to the internet can be a very huge blessing and connecting with providers in your area or even out of state. So for example, I've given some trainings on like telehealth-based services and even trauma-informed telehealth. If you're, if the person that is on the spectrum is dealing with sleep issues, maybe there's some support services available to help them sleep better through cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia that could be delivered through the screen. What happens if that individual is dealing with anxiety or if they're dealing with some different types of social skill limitations? Getting them to connect to support groups online or with professionals online can be a very positive thing. But at the same time, we want to make sure we're modeling the appropriate use of technology and putting the appropriate boundaries and fences in place. 
and making sure that they know how to put on the parking brakes and pause and reflect. And the issue I brought up before with time management, time can be an abstract concept for some people. So if the parent consistently says to the child, you have one hour on the screen every day, you need to make sure you define time, you need to demonstrate it, you need to make it visual. What does an hour truly feel like? To someone on the autism spectrum, an hour could feel like three hours or 15 minutes. It's very difficult to know. Define the beginning, define the middle, define the end. Giving a little period of time before that hour is up to, to help with transition, I think is a really good thing. One thing I forgot mm -hmm. to mention too, when we talk about like that inflexibility, there is some research to support the fact that exercise can help with cognitive inflexibility problems. There's another case I consulted on previously too, where this individual was on the screen for an extensive period of time and he'd have a tendency to openly admit he would really get lost in it. And before you know it, it was two in the morning and he had a job. So he would wake up every day just exhausted and this would have a huge impact on his motivation. Another good example to put some parameters in place and to be on the lookout for some of these other issues that may pop up, motivational deficits. Is the individual starting to look like they have ADHD-like symptoms after being on the screen for an extensive period of time? That inattentiveness, the impulsivity, the concentration issues. What about an increase in rumination where they have a tendency to just think the negative over and over and over again? What is that individual watching online or on YouTube? What are they exposed to? Are they exposed to thought-provoking news stations that are really anxiety-producing? Or are they involved in situations that are calming and relaxing? Interventions need to take all of these factors into account. And again, we could spend all day talking about these different variables, but this is just a broad spectrum snapshot of some of the key variables I've seen consistently show up in some of the cases I've consulted on over the past few years. As you describe this, I mean, I, I just think about we've all been in those times where maybe we binge watch something or we've uh, been really focused on getting work done and are sitting there at the computer nonstop researching. And it does, it alters your mood, it alters your energy, it alters the interactions that you might have with others during that time. And if you can't cut off, that's gotta be hard. So it's one of those interesting issues is that this is, we're talking neurodiversity here, but most of these things that we've talked about on this podcast branch so far beyond just the autistic community. It's everybody that benefits from a lot of what you're describing there. Uh, what sort of advice do you have? I mean, you have the audience here to talk about the screen time and I've, I've heard already moderation, moderation, moderation. And you know what, that's probably the key thing that we have to have in, in context here. But what would you suggest to families that this is part of their child's life, a big part for so many families, and this is how they get that input or how they build friends. How do you suggest to them that they tailor or weigh these benefits? Well, I think anytime you're trying to teach an intervention 
tackle it from a strengths-based approach using approaches that are empathetic and validating and knowing that this is a difficult time right now for everyone being in this era of COVID. There's actually plenty of research coming out showing that COVID and the associated lockdowns and the stress associated with this has been very traumatic for a lot of people on the spectrum, including their families. Maybe they're in school one week and now they have to ship back being online. All those transitions can be very difficult. So I encourage parents to stay regulated, to utilize empathy, encouragement, validation, really practicing self-care strategies as a family, getting good sleep, having a consistent sleep-wake schedule, exercising, being on the lookout for some of these red flag indicators, understanding too, and I didn't mention this before, and not to scare caregivers, but extensive screen time use can actually increase chronic low-grade inflammation. And low-grade inflammation is a driver for a lot of health-related concerns. What I have found helpful for me to do this kind of work is to learn as much as possible about the negative impact of screen time use and then implementing strategies that can help these families really thrive and decrease the stress and understand that when the individual with autism really can learn how to disconnect from the screen time, you may see a reduction in sleep-related problems. You may see a lessened degree of self-regulation concerns, anxiety problems. And in, in some cases, you may see improvement in some social skills as well. So those would be just a few basic things that I would recommend. Each one of those basic things, I think, will have so much value to anybody who puts them in place. So I appreciate that you outlined each one of those. And I'd probably just add one thing personally is one of the things that we're missing because of all the social engagement and everything being focused through a visual technology are sometimes those niceties. And I think that that's part of what makes our society and our culture really grow is the fact that we have these ways of engaging each other, of of demonstrating that social kindness um, and understanding that a perspective is a perspective, but we're all people. It's easier to do in person. And I think that that's something that I'd love to see that translate, even if it is a technology-based society, is that there's a way to be able to do that more and more frequently. And I think that they're with the right coaching and, and parental support in what's going on, we can start to empower the children to carry on a lot of these social niceties that exist in daily interactions. But I appreciate you coming on, Gerard. I, I, I think everything that you said was spot on. And I hope that our listeners have a chance to be able to benefit from some of the advice that you gave. Truly appreciate the opportunity and feel free to share my contact information with folks. I have a lot of educational handouts, resources, video links on on these very topics. And again, it's a real thing. COVID-19 has amplified a lot of these things. And I think it's here to stay. And they're just being on the lookout for some of these red flag indicators and implementing some of these basic strategies, I think can lead to a very healthy family system and dynamic. And before we do hop off, is uh, where where can people access 
your guidance on these or any any sort of material that you have for them to be able to understand the resource a little bit deeper? You bet. I'd say the best way to get in contact with me, just shoot me an email at jared, J-E-R-R-O-D, 01234, brown, like the color, the at symbol, and then live, like live on TV, L-I-B-E, dot com. All right. Well, thank you, Jared. I, I really hope that everybody does reach out because you have so much to be able to add to this conversation. Truly appreciate, again, the opportunity to chat with your audience. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week. Thank <music> you.